Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. I'm Monica, and I'm your host. Tonight is July 13th, 2011. Uh, Safe Recovery is a show that's designed to address, or originally is designed to address predatory behavior in 12-step meetings. Uh, But we've sort of evolved to a place where we are exploring many other ways of recovery besides the 12-step programs. Um, Empowerment not powerless, is our slogan. Tonight, I have a very special guest, um, Kenneth Anderson. He has his own blog talk radio, Ham's Harm Reduction, I think that's the name of it. Um, He wrote a book, How to Change Your Drinking, and I am going to bring him right on now. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, Monica. Can you hear me okay? I can, Ken. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. How are you doing tonight? Uh, You know, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, too. I think I'd like to start by just saying what harm reduction is, because I think a lot of people often have some misconceptions. Mm-hmm. And they think maybe harm reduction means encouraging people to use drugs or the mm-hmm. things like that, and that's not what it is at all. Right. Harm reduction is anything that reduces harm, and that includes successful abstinence. So uh, people that work in harm reduction are entirely in favor of uh, successful abstinence, if that's what works for someone, Mm -hmm. if that's the right outcome for someone, you know, that's totally great, and we're totally in favor of it. You know, the opposite of harm reduction is to increase harm. And uh, some of my experiences uh, with uh, AA and 12-step programs, it seemed like the people really wanted to increase the harm to me. I mean, If I started questioning things like, well, why should I say I'm powerless? Or I don't Mm -hmm. know if there's some higher power out there. You know, I would be told, well, you need to go out and drink more and suffer Mm -hmm. more. And once Mm -hmm. you suffer enough, you will come crawling back on your knees asking for our help. That's a good point. You know, the research, yeah, the research, the empirical evidence doesn't really support the uh, classic idea that, you know, the more consequences the more likely someone will change. You know, the whole hitting bottom thing is not really entirely valid. Um, You know, if there are no consequences to using drugs or no consequences to using alcohol, if there's no consequences at all, why would anyone stop? Of course they won't stop. That's right. Because why should they? There's nothing, Mm -hmm. they're they're not harming themselves. They're not harming anyone else. Right. If there are consequences, well, then people do start thinking, maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need mm-hmm. to stop. Maybe I need to cut back. Maybe maybe I need to be more careful, not drink and drive anymore. Maybe that's a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's but, so true. Uh, you know, uh, I, I really love the idea with dealing with young people with harm reduction. I have personal experience with appreciating what you were doing uh, with my uh, son who's now 21 and actually doing pretty well. Um, with real moderation. And uh, I, as I was digging through all these other programs, these alternatives, I came across you, and I don't have your book yet because I was, like, studying. It seemed like every book out there, but I did listen to your radio show. And mm-hmm. I was really, you know, and I was looking for moderation management, but I know that that had gone through some strange things. And so I found myself listening to you, and thought, wow, like, this is really great. This is really a different way of looking at um, someone who's 
either having a drinking problem really young instead of saying, okay, you need to stop for the rest of your life or you're doomed to jail institutions and death. You know what I mean? Which is what AA says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, all too um, often when you tell people that, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then yeah. they do go out. They don't like what they're told. They go out, they drink more, they get into more problems than they would if they hadn't been, you know, threatened with all this doom and gloom. It's a belief system. It, it is. I, I think we've talked to some other people on my show where we talked about once you have that belief system of that doom and gloom and that you are, you know, powerless and, uh, you know, I've seen it with uh, my sister and her husband who just committed suicide, um, even, you know, somebody who's maybe out of the program or doesn't go for years, but still kind of how ingrained that you're you're powerless and that you are just, once you take that drink, it takes you. And all that stuff that's repeated over and over in a very uh, cultish way, really. Uh, so anyway, I'm really happy to have you on. And so we've said what it's not. I want to ask, because I, I did not have a chance to get your book. I, I am going to get it as one of my, you know, to have in my library here. When did you write it, and what threw you into that you had to write this book? Well, the first edition came out in June of uh, 2010, and then we cleaned it up a lot and brought out a second edition in October of 2010. So uh, I say oh, get the second true. edition. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a much yeah. clean, much more cleaned up book. It's the same content, basically, but it's, it's nicer all around. And yeah. a lot of typos cleaned up and introduction and nice things. Um, we started our program in January of 2007, Actually, I'd been involved uh, with harm reduction before that. Um, as early as about 1997, I believe it was, I was involved with moderation management. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I was living in Minnesota. Um, Audrey Kishline, the founder, was uh, there at the time leading meetings. So uh, the first uh, moderation manage- management meeting I went to, it was two people. It was me and Audrey Kishline, founder of NM. <laughs> So I did get a chance to know her somewhat. Um, right. Even then, um, I was trying to finish my master's thesis for my linguistics degree, and I knew I couldn't do this if I was drinking all the time, so I decided I would drink one night a week, safely at home. I would drink heavily, and then you know I would not drink the other six days at all so that I could get something done. Right, right. And uh, even then, I kind of uh, you know came into conflict, you know, uh with uh, Audrey saying, well, that's not a moderate drinking program. And I said, well, no, it's not, but it's working for me. It's what I need to do right now. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this was my first uh, experiences in this area. Um, then I finished my degree, um, started working at the public library in Minneapolis, got kind of bored, was drinking too much, um, then decided to make some changes again. Got, uh, I found out, you know, the whole Audrey Kishline's story about the, you know, the the crash and, uh, yeah. the, you know, killing two people, driving drunk, and then I found out, oh, that she had uh, resigned from MM and was going to AA meetings when that happened. Uh-huh. Right. I read that story, too. What happened to her then after that? Is she in jail? Um, she was in prison for, I believe it was four years. Um, she's been out for a long time. Um, she wrote another book, but uh, didn't really take off too much. Um, so I, I, no one's in. I, I'm not in touch with her. Um, she's not a public person these days. Um, she's not mm-hmm. available publicly. She's a private person very much these days. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure too much uh, where she where she's at these days. Um, I did mm-hmm. get reinvolved with moderation management, and uh, I heard about the harm reduction concept. Um, of one of the uh, people on their advisory board was talking about my plan of you know drinking one night a week and saying, well, that's really harm reduction, and you don't go out, you don't drive, so you don't mm-hmm. hurt anybody, and you right. really reduce the consequences. It's really and I heard the harm reduction idea. I said, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I want to learn more. Right. I went to the needle exchange in Minneapolis because it was the only harm reduction agency around. I said, I want to. Uh, Well, first I said, I'd like a job. And they said, well, our grant's been cut. Do you want to be a volunteer? (laughs) I said, okay. 
<laughs> okay, I'll be a volunteer. So for about a year or so, I volunteered off and on uh, doing needle exchange in Minneapolis. It was uh, really educational. Mm-hmm. And um, because harm reduction is not just something that you grasp with your head, it's something that you grasp with your heart. You know, because when people come in and bring in their used needles, you know, what do you say? You say, thank you. You've done a wonderful service for the community because you've gotten these used needles off the street and you've done a great service um, for by bringing them in and here are the clean ones and you're also doing a wonderful thing by always using clean ones and we really want to thank you, you know, which is just not like saying, well, you shouldn't shoot dope, but if you have to, here's some clean needles. Now get out of my sight. You know. Right. It's you're it's, treating them differently than what when what, what they're getting probably everywhere else. Mhm. Yeah. yeah it's, so uh, totally um, respecting. Mm-hmm. It's respecting the dignity of every human being, whether they use drugs or don't use drugs, whether they drink or don't drink, whether they're gay or straight. You know, it's about respecting everyone's human dignity wherever they are at. That's a very important point. And then also about encouraging every positive change. Because when people try to make a positive change, you say, well, that's not good enough. You have to be perfect or you're not good enough. Get away from me. Um, it sounds like, like, did people. you go to AA meetings in, in like, you know, periodically at different times? They understand it the way that it sounds like you do? Um, try yeah, it I not tried like going... It? I tried going to AA, but it was uh, it. What happened was it made me drink more. In fact, it made me drink until I had to go to check into detox withdrawal symptoms. It was extremely problematic for me. Um, you know, it, it made it made my drinking much worse than it had been before. Mhm. Okay. So this is really good. So you, I mean, that isn't good, but I'm just saying that you created or got involved with something else, and from that, you know, sort of sprouted this other. Uh, harm reduction, and now your radio show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah okay. the radio show, our website, our book. Um, the radio so you're show working at the really Needle Exchange, good. volunteering for about a year, and then what happened? Um, well, eventually I uh, moved to uh, New York City. Um, I was working also as an administrator for moderation management for a while, but uh, we had some disagreements about the price of harm reduction, for me to uh, move on and just create the harm reduction program that's separate and independent from uh, moderation management. So that's what we did, and that was the birth of HAMS in January mm-hmm. of 2007. Oh, okay. And it's the center is in New York City? Um, well, technically, yes. We have a post office box in New York City, mm-hmm. but uh, we mainly work on the Internet. We have online support groups. We have a live chat room. We have an email group. There is a live meeting in Brooklyn, too. Um, oh, okay. That's the only uh-huh. live support meeting so far. But uh, mm-hmm. the Internet support meetings are going really strong, and people really like them. For one thing, they're very anonymous, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, people can really feel free to talk about what's going on with them and not worry about you know, somebody in the community finding things out or things. That's right. That's right. I uh, so um, do you have any idea like what's your demographic? I know it sounds like so anonymous. Do you think young people um, might be uh, really interested in something more like this? Do you have any um, idea? Well, I do have an idea, and it's not young people right now. I think mm-hmm. that there is a place. Uh, we actually have a separate website for the young people called Students for Safe Drinking, but we haven't really taken off with that yet. Oh, okay. What's the name of that? I want to. What's that? It's Students for Safe Drinking. Oh, okay. It's uh, the website is collegedrinking.org. Okay, I'm going to check that out. Collegedrinking.org. Okay, good idea. All right, loving it. All right, so, um, are you in Brooklyn? Yes, I am. Um, yes, and I work for uh, I work for a church in Brooklyn, so it's good uh, I get some space without paying any rent. So I just get out, take out the garbage on the, at night, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! So it's good to get some uh, meeting space. As long as we're talking about that, it uh, brings up something that I wanted to mention. It's kind of off the topic, yes. but not completely. Um, 
because, you know, you were talking about AA meetings and people having trouble, you know, with AA meetings when, when bad things are going on, sexual predators are around, and what can you do? Um, there's, there was an AA meeting that met at my church where I work for uh, several decades, and they just recently got thrown out. And so it's one thing you can do is, you know, you can talk to the person that's renting the meeting, the space. Mm-hmm. And what happened, um, well, um, these guys had been, they were taking our statues down when they did their meeting, and they were told they weren't supposed to touch anything. They kept yeah. moving our piano, and they broke the leg of our piano, and we had a big sign on the piano that said, don't move this piano right. because we didn't want to get it broken. And, you know, um, and then they were being really anti-organized religion and, you know, saying how horrible organized religion is and all the problems it causes. It's not always a good thing to do when you're renting a space from a church. Yeah, really. Was it was it an atheist meeting? They have some atheist meetings now. Was it that mm-hmm. or was it a normal meeting? It was just a normal meeting. Wow, but, you know they were. Yeah. The, the, you know, they were I, just there's doing so many meetings thing. that got thrown out in um, Los Angeles. Like, I, I just, I mean, it was a long list, and I don't know all the reasons, but you know, there's that acting of arrogance and rudeness and things that. Uh, so, well, that's good to know. We've had some people that I don't, I don't think that they're. Well, maybe somebody is welcome out. There's people in the chat room. Sally Pickles Jerkin. Guest number one nine five eight six. <laughs> Sally's typing now. Um, where people have gone to try to do some uh, sort of activism or you know to to safety activism and have really been uh, shut down even by the priest. We have Carolyn who's been writing on the blog Stinking Thinking on the Why I Left AA story thread, and uh, she went and just got totally. Ignored and shut down, and it's really serious. Uh, but um, well, I'm glad to hear that your church, uh, you know, took care of it that way in the place where you are. Mm-hmm. That, that gives me hope, uh, Ken. You know that there are some churches that are going to respond for the safety issue. Mhm. And in this case, because um, I didn't hear any complaints about safety, but I know that one of the AA members was also someone that frequently attended mass at our church, and this guy just said to my priest, you know, these guys are taking down the statues. They're talking bad about Jesus. They're saying bad things about religion, and they're talking about how they're spiritual, you know, AA is spiritual and everything else is religion, and religion is all crap, and he was really unhappy to hear that, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm. It's, it really doesn't go along with the whole live and let live, you know. It's like, you oh, know. I know. Or the I whole know. idea that we're, we're not religious. It's, AA, is really become, AA is a religion, and it's in competition with other religions these days. You, you think and it I is? I think it's changed. I mean, I agree with you. I, I think it's, they, people consider it a religion. It's absolutely not. I mean, it's made up, you know, I don't know, mumbo-jumbo, I'm kind of critical with these days of, you know, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, the beginnings of it. Uh, I'd like to hear your take on it. Um. Well, I think it's become much more militant these days. Um, In the 70s, AA was much less powerful as an entity, and it was much more willing to get along with the churches that were hosting its meetings, you know. They were Mm -hmm. much more... Even the stories I've heard from my priest, it's like, well, when we had a cleanup day, the AA people would come in and help us clean up the church and things. And now mm-hmm. they're just saying bad things about, uh, you know, the church, and they're taking down our statues, and every time we tell them not to do something, they do it, you know. Wow. Wow, so interesting. I yeah, I think there's been a change in the AA culture. I, I think so, too. I've been around that long. I, I, it's a huge shift, uh, and the shift really began long ago when, began the military was, were the first that I knew were sending people to AA that didn't want to come. They, they shipped the, the Marine Corps from Kaneohe to a very small NA meeting that there were about eight of us, and they shipped a bus, a big yellow bus full of guys. And they sat on the edge of this big hall, and we were all sitting in our little meeting, 
And we were like, they were sitting there and watching us and judging us. And, you know, I was just like, wow, it was really strange. And there was no support from the the elder members of AA that we looked to and said, you know, this is the breaking of a tradition. And they were like, no, this is great. If we save one life, it's worth it. And they were like, uh, no, I think you're spiritually, like, going in the wrong direction, barking up the wrong tree. And, of course, it's really become the... Um, the undoing, one of the undoings. But I do yes, agree. I with quite you. agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very militant. But let's get back to your thing because you have you're something different. So, um, and when you told your story again, I realized it was you that I had heard that helped me re. It's almost like I felt like my brain was getting remapped when I listened to you because I'm you know old school in AA was in AA for a long time over three decades, and got in really young. Um, but uh, when I heard you talking, I I really, my mind just really opened up, and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? So I'd like to hear the rest of your story. So here you are drinking just one day a week, and getting drunk on that mm-hmm. day, and you, you're you involved in in this other program, you know. And where where did you go to now? Do you still drink moderately, or did you come to an abstinent place? Um, no, I'm still drinking, uh, you know, under very controlled circumstances. For a couple years, I was drinking two days a week and then abstaining five. And uh, recently, I decided to go back to abstain six and drink one. I feel like I'm getting older, and it's just taking more of a toll on me. So I'm going back to that plan again. But, you know, I've I've been doing this for ten years now. I haven't run out of control. Wow. I mean, pe- mm-hmm. many people... I will say many people find abstinence is easier and they prefer it. And, you know, we, our program, we call it HAMS, and the H is for harm reduction. The A is for abstinence from alcohol, and the M is for moderate drinking, and the S is support because we're a support group. So yeah. we absolutely support abstinence. Many people choose it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I chose to do with cigarette smoking. Yeah. You know, I smoked since I was 15 years old. You know, until I was like 50, yeah. you know, for 35 years, and you know, oh. very heavy cigarette smoker. I don't touch cigarettes anymore. I don't want to be a moderate smoker. I don't want to smoke one cigarette a day. That's not <laughs> any fun. <laughs> right. You know, it's no appeal to me. I like uh, once a week. I like a nice cigar, maybe right. in the summertime outside. Then in the right. winter, I don't yeah. smoke at all. But, you know, cigarettes, no more cigarettes. I don't want to be a moderate cigarette smoker. Abstinence is the way to go for me with cigarettes. Television, too. I haven't owned a television in a couple decades. Because, you know, when I have it, I watch it. Let's see. uh, The number to call in, um, let's see. I'm going to give it out. It's 818-475-9211. It's 818-475-9211. We are talking with Kenneth Anderson from Harm Reduction from HAMS. Uh, who wrote the book, How to Change Your Drinking. And I'm going to bring on this guest here. Let's see. Hello, you on the air. Hi, Massive. It's Sally. Hi, Sally. Hi. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Kenneth. Hello. Um, I had a question. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kenneth. Um, A little background on me. I have been trying to, well, I have gotten away from AA. It wasn't for me at all. And in the process, um, I've been learning about other ways but um, to, for treatment options. But I've sort of hit a standstill, and I was wondering from the HAMS point of view, if you take um, more of an active role in trying to get the word out about your program to psychiatrists and doctors, that type of thing, because every doctor I have talked to, it's you have to go to AA. You know, that's what's going to save you. That's what's going to help you. There's no other way. Psychiatrists, counselors, that type of thing, um, <clears throat> all believe that. And mm-hmm. um, I've the only way that I've learned of other options like yours was through, you know, really talking about my AA experience on the web and with massive um 
and you know that's how it's come about is people who are pretty much anti AA or um, or it hasn't worked for them they they have learned about it but otherwise it's not in the mainstream at all and it's definitely more up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of work. I spend about forty hours a week doing PR for hams in one way or another, and I'm always trying to get the word out. Um, what I'm most successful at is working on the Internet because there are a lot of things you can do on the Internet with no money. I mean, right. you, can build a, you can build a good website. If you write a lot of good content, you'll get good rankings with Google. A lot of your pages will be found if you just put, put in good content. And, you know, that's something I spend a lot of time working at is creating good content so that, you know, pages can be found. Um, I'm always asking people, you know, put me on your radio show like tonight so I can mm-hmm. talk to more people about, you know, about this program and get the word out. So I'm always trying to uh, do more PR, to sell more books. Um, I've got I've got quite a few people that I've sent the book to, quite a few therapists I've sent uh, copies of the book to for free, and then they kind of spread it out to, uh, you know, spread the word to their clients that this is a good book, you know. But mostly I have to find therapists that are already friendly to the concept. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a slow, long process to uh, work your way up. You know, I don't know if you are familiar with the term of the long tail, no. What does that mean? Um, well, you know, when you talk about books or television or anything, there's a few books like Stephen King and a few things like the mainstream TV shows are very popular, millions of people watch. And then there's the the smaller groups, you know, that are in the long tail that, you know, not so many people um, see, but, you know, I'm still selling quite a few books. They're selling about eight books a day right now. So it's mm-hmm. actually uh, moving out a lot. It started out when I first published it at two a day. We're moving up. We've got to eight books a day now. Right. So we're we're like selling four times as many as we were before. And the website is getting more and more hits. Um, I don't have direct access to that number anymore, but I know it's getting found a lot more. So we are moving up the long tail from, you know, being very obscure to being very being more and more known, and um, hopefully someday we will, we will be better known than AA. Now, did you, I think that's a great question, Sally. Um, I am really uh, interested in this PR. I, I feel like, you know, I know that you know I started this more to expose and give us a platform to speak up and about the 13-stepping and in support you know, uh, in, in inside safety, and then it's kind of a blossom to this. But um, somebody sent me, uh, and I know you're in New York, but there's going to be this sort of um, workshop thing happening in California, I think down in Long Beach in the fall, where they're going to have all these speakers. And these are for training for therapists and counselors in the addiction treatment industry. Um, do you have um, you have your own PR? It just sounds like you don't from what you already said where you could, because this is a really good place for you to be, is at all of those events where the therapists are going to be and counselors, that you go as a speaker, as like a specialist on harm reduction, you know? Have you, got, have you done Actually, any? Actually, um, okay, in October of this year, we are booked uh, for the uh, ASAP, the Alcohol and Substance Abuse Professionals, New York State Conference. So oh, we will be doing a yeah. we will do be doing a poster presentation mm-hmm. at that conference, and yeah, uh, that good. means uh, mm-hmm, I get to uh, write a short paper, and they put it up as a poster, and I get to stand <laughs> in front of it for three days and tell everybody that comes by how wonderful my organization is. Right, right. <laughs> and talk about your book and your own experience, and mm-hmm. that you've managed to maintain this. Um, yeah, and this I, uh, is, what uh, like have you ever done like a Barnes and Noble like a uh, book tour? Um no, Barnes and Noble are not yet ready to book me. Um I I've, I've uh, tried to get my book into their brick and mortar store. Um I might try again cuz I just got a nice professional review on it. They weren't mm-hmm. willing to take it the last time. 
Right now, we're, we're really going through Amazon because if you go on Amazon, do a keyword search on the word alcohol, we come up like number one in books, number one on Kindle. For all products, I think we're hitting number three or number four on that uh, keyword. Really? You know, um, I'm going to know here in L.A. and tell them about you and, and see what happens when I, next time I go in there. I'll ask them to get your book or order your book online for me if they don't have it. Do they even carry it? Um, they carry it online, so you can get it from any Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. In, you know, you can go in and order it, but they won't they won't put it on the shelf yet. You know, getting it on the shelf in the store is it's a bit of a job. You have to you mm-hmm. know make a bit of a splash in the media somewhere. As I said, I might try and send them the new book review that I just got. I just got one from uh, Forward Book Reviews. Oh, I I wonder if Amy Lee Coy is uh, listening. I was going to tell her um, yeah. there's some places she should try to uh, get her book reviewed. Uh, Midwest Book Review is very good. Forward Book Review is very good. Um, I got reviewed by both of those, and they work with small presses. Just you know, do the submission according to their guidelines, and I'm sure her book is excellent. It will definitely get reviewed. Yeah, it's a very good book. It was a really easy read. I, I had to slow myself down because I wanted to really sink it in, you know, um, when I was interviewing her. Sally, uh, it's a good question. Do you have another question or another something well, you want to say? Well, if I can, I, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to word it um, for Kenneth. I... Was wondering what your background is as a professional. Are you some are addiction specialist of some sort, or did you work in the field, or are you writing from your own personal perspective and and from your own research? Um, it's a little bit of both. Okay, um, I enrolled at the New School University in New York City for a degree, a master's degree in substance abuse counseling and uh, psychology, a dual master's. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm like two classes away from finishing up. I just had to take a break from that. Um, I did that, uh, I think I was in classes in 2008 to 2009. Yeah, that's about the time. But I finished most of the classes in uh, in that master's degree. Uh, but, you know, I've been doing research since, um, you know, the since the early 1990s, the first time that, you know, I encountered some difficulties with alcohol. And, you know, I said, well, I've been in treatment myself. So, you know, I've been in the standard treatment a couple times um, mm-hmm. in the 90s. And it just didn't make any sense. You know, well, why do you need this higher power to rescue you? I mean, you don't do this when you have cancer. You don't say, I mean, you really are powerless over cancer. You can't do anything about that yourself. You don't say, mm-hmm. I, I'm surrendering to God. God, cure my cancer, please. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. that's not, that's not uh, the way we do it. So I started looking, you know, because I thought this stuff was bizarre. started looking for people that had uh, done some research studies, go to the public library, you know, find about 100 books, say, AA is the most successful. And, you know, you look for, well, what's the research study you base this on? Well, they don't cite any study. And, again, it's the most successful. It's the most wonderful. It's the most great. Then I found Stanton Peel's book. And Stanton's book said, well, here are all the research studies, and none of them say that the AA is better than doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. I think I read something every day where it is said, you know, there's some kind of article or bloggist or something that where it states that, um, you know, AA has helped millions of people or, or AA is the best way. And it's almost, it almost seems like it's, it's a society knowledge. You know, that's what people think. That's what people believe. And they don't, and most people I've found don't really know what it's about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, more education on the public opinion, I think, would be um, beneficial to everybody, <laughs> from my, from, in my opinion. Yeah, so here's well, a here's that a... happened that I don't know if it's posted on the um, internet yet, if uh, Anti Denial posted it, but she told me this this morning. So, and this is part of the the change that's going to go on in our culture, and it's a very big one that she's been working on down there. They, so, the wording with the um, with the justice system, I guess you would call it, with drug courts, was to sentence people or send them to AA and NA, and they have now changed it to a support group for the whole state mm-hmm. of Florida. Wow. Yeah, and she yeah. was 
very, very active uh, and very instrumental and uh, got involved with, you know, SMART and then she turned me on to, you know, um, Sherry Allward and we spoke and I had uh, Tom Horvath on. But, you know, that's big. Florida was the first drug court, so it's setting a precedent. It, it is different. It's moving forward. It's allowing people to, I believe, even go online. So, uh, yeah, Sally, I think that uh, on the other side of that, though, I know that you know this, that as many people who say that, there are reporters who are reporting the truth. As you know about my file cabinet, is getting very thick with stories that are violent stories of rape, murder, child molesters being sentenced to meetings. They are being printed and spoken about as well, which maybe five years ago didn't happen. It's ha- but so there is a, a shift in the tide. Don't you think? I mean, I know I can I'm looking at it right now. It's 3 I it's haven't three been and- I haven't been on it as long as you. You know, it's only been a few months. I'm still catching up to what I've missed <laughs> in the past. Um but I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I know I think that there's not- a definite shift in um in the what do I want to say? The addiction recovery professionals themselves are uh, opening up more and more to new ideas. Um, ten years ago, if you tried to pitch smart recovery, cognitive behavioral therapy, harm reduction, uh, most of them would just shut you down right away and, mm-hmm. no, we know what to do with the 12 steps. And, you know, now I'm seeing a lot I, I interact with these guys a lot online, especially through LinkedIn, um, other places. And they're getting more and more open. I also go to the borough meetings, the uh, chemical dependency council borough meetings for the Brooklyn Borough and the Manhattan Borough and they say, Yeah, let's hear about the harm reduction approach too. Mm-hmm. So I think the professionals are getting much more open. Well that's very good. Is there somebody representative of uh I mean, obviously, you're really a, sort of a program, you know, or a support group. SMART is a support group. Are they involved? Do you see them there at the chemical dependency? What is, what's the other part of that name? Uh, the Chemical Dependency Council. Um, I haven't seen SMART. I've seen another guy from Harm Reduction. They're aware of SMART, though. I mean, we yeah, have a lot are. of SMART in uh, New York City. So mm-hmm. they're very aware and uh, they're quite uh, open to talking about the cognitive behavioral approach and to using it and not to be closed and just say, you know, AA is the only way. You have to do the 12 steps. So um, I'm seeing more and more people that are opening up in the professional world, you know, because they've seen that, you know, AA is not working very well at all. Have you um, another thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Another thing, uh, going back to something we were talking about before, about, you know, they say AA has helped millions. Um, There's a very interesting article that's published by the NIAAA, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, in their magazine Spectrum. You can find this online if you look Mm -hmm. for the NIAAA Spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Alcoholism Isn't What It Used to Be. Yes. And they've analyzed the results of this gigantic survey that they did uh, of uh, people in the United States, and they found that 56% of all people with alcohol dependence will overcome it on their own without AA, without any treatment. I mean, this is over a period of 20 years now. It takes a long time. But 56% overcome it on their own. About half of those moderate and about half of those quit completely. Mm-hmm. Then 19%, only 19% um, overcome it using AA or a formal treatment program or both. Then there's another 25% that uh, even if they are treated or if they're not treated, they don't overcome the alcohol dependence. But even within these groups, uh, many of them make improvements at least, so they're not as bad as they were before. But, you know, the norm, the normal outcome for alcohol dependence is to get over it. It's not death. It's not, you know, jails and institutions are death are not the uh, natural outcome of alcohol dependence. The natural outcome is to get over it and either drink less or quit. You know, one of, have you ever tried to do a PSA? 
uh, uh, you know, put together a little PSA, so it's kind of it's available to. Uh, I mean, anyone? Um, yeah. Well, we've got a lot of YouTube videos out there. Um, I tried to uh, talk to a TV station about that, and they said you need to do this on Betamax and all this other stuff. And it was a. I mean, here's the thing. Let me tell you. I'm still. I find this program by working part time cleaning a church. So yeah. <laughs> we're not. We don't have millions out there. We don't even have hundreds. Well, maybe we got hundreds. Yeah, we're spending right. a couple hundred a month, uh, you know, promoting a program. But, you know, this is tiny, you know. It's, but it's yeah. because of the Internet lets you do lots of things. You know, if you tell the truth on the Internet, it gets passed along. And now, you don't you have, have to pay YouTube? a lot of money. You know, I mean, if I go into YouTube, do you have? did you kind of make a face-forward, like, you know, full-on commercial where you just kind of sit or somebody does uh, on YouTube? Uh, we've got a whole bunch of spots on YouTube. One is a, it's a straight-up PSA for the uh, local meeting in Brooklyn. It tells where it is and what we do. Um, I've got uh, there's a video called Quitting Drinking. Um, mm-hmm. There's one about safer drinking. Um, there's one about marijuana maintenance, which is actually something I want to talk about a little bit. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Because a lot of people. Um, you know, that have severe alcohol problems and have liver damage or else, you know, if they always get into fights when they drink or if they always have, you know, seizures and bad withdrawal when they drink, they can, many of them switch to marijuana successfully mm-hmm. and they don't have those problems anymore because, you know, marijuana doesn't make people get into fights and it doesn't right. hurt your liver mm-hmm. and it doesn't cause seizures. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people do find that switching to medical marijuana is a safer way, you know, it's a way to get off alcohol and it can get them off permanently. Uh, my colleague Amanda Ryman at Berkeley has done a great deal of research at the dispensaries there with uh, alcohol users and drug users who have gotten off the drugs and alcohol. I mean, they've gotten off things like heroin and crack just by getting a prescription for medical marijuana. And they say they either use far less or they've quit completely, and that's the only thing they use, and it's much safer. This is a harm reduction approach to right. addiction that works for some people. Now, is I, I don't think it is legal yet, though. You don't have a medical marijuana yet in New York, do you? You're not in New York. They have it in New Jersey. Oh, okay. They cross, just go over the Washington Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> just I can't smoke bridge. it myself. Marijuana makes me totally depressed. I haven't smoked in decades. Uh, I have terrible reactions to it. So I don't push medical marijuana because I want to smoke dope myself because I can't. But yeah. I see other people that, you know, have much better outcomes when they get off alcohol and get right. a prescription for medical marijuana. Oh, well, I know that a lot of the young people who are diagnosed and were given some other drugs are choosing uh, that don't want to go on to antidepressants, would rather, rather uh, use some medical marijuana. And um, I would tend to agree. I don't smoke it, haven't, in three, over three decades either, but... I do think it's better than some of the antidepressants with the way people are killing themselves while they're on them, taking them or not taking them. And, you know, uh, but I, I think that what, you know, Sally brought up, a lot of us are sort of working on um, sort of getting the word out to whoever we can. A therapist would really be good, being that I think uh, Sally was having a hard time, right, finding somebody who was neutral. Is that right, Sally? Like oh, a therapist? Definitely. And I'm not in the boonies, really. Um, you know, I'm near a big city, Chicago, mm-hmm. and it's just a common. It's it's everything here. It's everywhere I go, where everywhere I looked, and um, you know, there's other issues besides substance mm-hmm. abuse. So, and and they seem to think, general opinion is that in order to get help for some of these other issues, um, that I need to tackle my uh, addiction problem first. Even though I'm currently, you know, abstinent from any substances. So, but, you know, I need, you know, a year or two before they work, work with me if they are not a counselor. And if they are a counselor and CAADC trained, then they're, uh, they use the 12-step approach. Now, I'm going to suggest one of the best places you can go to seek a referral is to a needle exchange program. 
because very often they know of therapists who are trained in harm reduction therapy, mm. and they can mm. refer you. Um, I know Dan Big at the Chicago Recovery Alliance. He was a guest on our show uh, a few months back. He's a very nice person, and the Chicago Recovery Alliance does a lot of great work with needle exchange, and they probably know therapists that are trained mm-hmm. in harm reduction psychotherapy. Wow. Let's see that, Sally? Yes. Yes, definitely. That's a good idea. So maybe there's someone who might not live right in the city, even though they might work there. You know, he might have an office or, you know, be out where you are, because I know you're not right in the center of Chicago. But Oh, no, um, no. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, uh, a good lead. You know, very often uh, people that uh, use alcohol, that's the only drug, they're, they're really scared uh, to contact, like, a needle exchanger or some harm reduction center. Uh, I know what the first day I walked into be a volunteer, you know, to hand out needles. I never had anything to do with needles. I've still never seen heroin in my life. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but you know, I was scared to death, but I got so accustomed to it. And, uh, I mean, the clients, they're really sweet people. So, you know, I changed in my attitude completely. Well, I think it's more of a neighborhood that concerns me. <laughs> the, the neighborhood where I would have to go and, and, and go to a program that is needle exchange probably wouldn't be the best. Something I well, probably would normally want to stay away from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, one but, if you're just looking for a therapist, you could just give them a call and ask if yeah. they can do a referral. If they know good people, you don't actually have to show up. Um, the Minneapolis Exchange was not in a very bad place, actually. It was right downtown. It was a pretty, it was, it was before the neighborhood turned bad, so, you know. Right. Well, the other thing, too, would be, um, Sally, that what I was thinking, sometimes when the therapist might work downtown and that, maybe they live out, maybe they don't live right in the city, uh, and they would live on the, you know, in the suburbs or outside of the center, and and then, like Kenneth was saying, they could refer you. They're going to, in the beginning, a phone call, you know, somebody who's closer to you, um, it's a beginning. It's just opening that window of saying, you know what? There are people there. There are. There is. There is at least one. Like my sister went into St. Vincent's. They have an out. You know, a day program, and her psychiatrist and her therapist are not twelve-step uh, thumpers at all. One counselor I talked to just last week. I asked. I told her about you know how I was feeling about about that, and she wasn't trained, so she didn't want to work with me. She wasn't trained in substance abuse at all, and. And I said, everywhere I go, it's it's the twelve step program is what she goes, Yes, everybody I know, that's how they that's how they work it. So there really wasn't a lead from her either. But yeah, you know, let your fingers do the walk in, you know, I don't I wouldn't have to put myself in any strange places or areas that I might find myself uncomfortable. So anyway. So thank you both. I'm gonna I'm Thank gonna you so much, Sally, for calling in. Really good okay, questions. thanks Kenneth. Okay. okay, take care. All right, bye-bye. We'll talk to you later. Um, Kenneth, we have about 11 minutes left to the show, and um, I would like to talk more about your, your program or your, your plans or any other upcoming uh, places that you might be speaking at or more about Okay. Your- yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the program and the book. And it, our program has... 17 elements, and we call them elements and not steps because, A, you can do them in any order, and, B, you can do the ones you like, and you don't have to do the other ones. You can just do one if you want to. Right. So it's not like a step program at all. It's it's like a smorgasbord or a Chinese huh? menu. Pick one from column A, column A and two from column B. Okay. But you know, pick, what, pick the ones that are going to work for you. Our first one is to do a cost-benefit analysis of your drinking. And we recommend people actually do this on paper. You know, get out a paper and pen, get out actually four sheets of paper, and on one, write the positive things about your drinking the way it is right now. And, you know, here's a place where people always kind of balk. I I don't want to say positive things about my drinking. I want to change it. Well, you wouldn't drink if there weren't some positive things. That's why people drink. And you need to be aware of them, otherwise they're just in your subconscious and they'll cause trouble if you're not aware of them. 
not only that, if you're aware of what's good about alcohol, say it makes you relax, it helps you socialize, well, then you can start thinking about alternate ways to get the benefits that you get from alcohol from something else. For instance, right. it helps you relax. Well, you can exercise. You can do yoga. You can do meditation. There's all kinds of get relaxation tapes, all kinds of ways to relax. Mm-hmm. So if you're aware that relaxation is one of the things you get from alcohol, then you can start making a plan. Oh, I'll relax. I'll do yoga tomorrow instead of getting drunk tomorrow. <laughs> or if it has, seriously, well, it's an improvement. Well, I like right? this. Yeah. Or if it helps you to socialize and you say, well, I'm really shy. I don't know how to talk to people. Well, you can say, well, I'm going to join Toastmasters. I'll learn how to talk in front of a crowd. Once Mm -hmm. I can do that, then I'll be able to talk to people individually. You know, there are ways. So write down the pros of what's good about alcohol that you like and write down the cons, what's bad about alcohol that you don't like. Right. And then think about your change plan. If you're going to quit, what's good about not drinking or what's Mm -hmm. bad about not drinking? Or if you're going to moderate, what's good about moderating? What's bad about moderating? Mm-hmm. And um, that's uh, this paper and pencil exercise. I mean, it's been studied. It's been found very useful. And we mm-hmm. suggest this is one of the things to do to help you get get your change made. Then we suggest for uh, the second element is to choose a goal. Do you want to be a safer drinker? Do you want to quit? Do you want to be? Do you want to reduce your drinking? Do you want to reduce and be safer? These are all goals that people can choose, you know. Choose a goal. We want, uh, we suggest that then we talk about risks and risk ranking. If people do risky things when they drink, if they uh, drink and drive, if they drink and dial, call people on the phone when they're intoxicated, call the boss Mm -hmm. and say, you son of a bitch, Mm -hmm. it's not good. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if people have unsafe sex when they're intoxicated, you know. uh, Write down the risky behaviors, and, you know, rank which are the worst, you know. If you only call your best friend when you're drunk, then maybe, you know, your best friend might get annoyed, but not. it's not the same as calling your boss. Maybe that's not so risky as drinking and driving. That's a real bad one. Right. So, you know, we say, you know, figure out which ones are the worst and which ones, you know, the least problem. Try to get rid of the worst ones first, you know. Mm-hmm. And then make a plan. You know, what are you going to do instead of drinking and driving, are you going to, well, take a taxi cab to the bar so once you're there, you don't have your car there to drive home with. Right. You have to take the taxi back home. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to use the subway if you're in New York? Um, but whatever, make a plan, you know, to try to uh, reduce the risks involved with drinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, we've got <clears throat> chapter four, or actually element four, which is chapter six. Um, is the toolbox. And we have a whole toolbox of things that people can use, anything from medical marijuana to, uh, oh, say, limiting your cash. You drink only in bars and just bring a $20 bill with you. When it's gone, you have to go home. You didn't bring your debit card. You didn't bring any more cash unless you're going to start annoying people and say, buy me a drink. You know, right. you, have to go, you have to go home when you're done. Uh, some people find this very successful. Other people say, you know, I have problems when I drink outside of the house. I'm only going to drink at home. Mm-hmm. So that's another tool. And, you know, different people are different, so different people will use different tools. But we have a whole big toolbox of tools that people can use. Then uh, number five is to make a plan to achieve your drinking goal. And we uh, ask people to actually write out their plan Um I mean, as I said, all of these are optional, so you don't have to do any of them, but many people find it helpful. Get out the pencil and paper, write out your plan, what kind of drinking plan you want to have, um, and six, use some alcohol-free time to reset your drinking habits. You know, we suggest take off a week from drinking or take off a month or a couple months, whatever Mm -hmm. seems the right period to you. Take some time with no alcohol, you know, Sometimes for people who have been drinking every day for a long time, even doing one day is a major change. But yeah. now doing it for one day, that's a success. You did something. You made a change. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's very interesting. I'm going to get your book. Uh, I, I do think uh, I had somebody contact me who's she's writing a book. And, um, you know, there's certain populations of people that are not ever going to go to AA. They're just not going to go there. 
and they're not going to go to the treatment places where they're going to have to say they're an alcoholic and they have to say they're powerless and they don't want to mix in. And, uh, you know, I I think that the world needs to think of things in a bigger way and that people need to know that there's, like you have the tools, you know, all these different tools in your book and SMART has a toolbox and people mm-hmm. think of, you know, AA has its tools. But, you know, there's about eight different other ways that I'm seeing now on the Internet between mm-hmm. Circular for Sobriety, SOS, Women for Sobriety, Rational Recovery, which has no meetings, doesn't believe in groups, has a lot of very interesting, helpful things that have helped many people, SMART, you, you know, HAMS. Um, and uh, I'm leaving out some others, sort of, um, Amy Lee Coy writing her book, Stephen Slate, um, even people that I think that are going on to stinking thinking now, um, that are using that as a, uh, as a, it's a tool, it's a tool oh, yeah. to go on, and uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, somebody in the chat room was just writing something. Uh, let's see, they wrote here. Let me see, what a sane man being humane to people at the needle exchange. Somebody just said that. So you just got a compliment. I don't know if you're in the if you're in the chat room, Kenneth. Unlike at AA, where you have to admit to a spiritual disease, um, no wonder so many AAs binge and kill themselves. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of judgment there, and I I sense from you that there isn't. There's a lot of uh, acceptance, and you went and worked with people that you didn't even understand their heroin addiction. You know, um, mm-hmm. and that energy is felt by those that are suffering. They can feel that lack of judgment or the judgment. And I, as the years rolled by, my experience in AA is that they had become very judgmental group as a group, not just mm-hmm. individuals, mm-hmm. as a group, very judgmental. And only I do I, I do want to say one more thing about needle exchange before I leave the topic, which um, a lot of my colleagues in needle exchange are their NA members or their twelve step members. And but they're still very compassionate people, and you know there are. So I want to say there are a lot of people in AA or NA that are still good people, um, in spite of you know we know there's a lot of crazies in there too that are just really rigid and want to push their agenda on you. But you know people like Alan Clear that runs the Harm Reduction Coalition, or uh, Ray Eden Frank, who was my mentor in needle exchange. You know the, although they're twelve step members, they're also very compassionate people. And, you know, when they are doing needle exchange, they do not talk about being 12-step at all because mm-hmm. it's not the forum for it. So, you know, there are many good people there. Well, well that's good. That's good. Um, we have just a couple minutes left. I know you, you've only hit on some any of these other points. Uh, there's 17 of them. We hit about half of them. Of the rest that you have left that you haven't touched on, what are what are a couple others? Well, of course you can see them all on our website, hamsnetwork.org. But um, we talk about addressing outside issues that affect drinking, like if you have depression or anxiety, if you have Mm. financial woes. A lot of people drink because they don't have enough money. Then they have less money afterwards, of course. But uh, but literally, I mean, being poor or, you know, not having social contact, not having any sex life, all these things can drive people to drink. So, you know. All these things are important, and, you know, the whole idea, it's a big AA thing, that's an outside issue. You can't talk about that here. Well, that's not what we say at all. All these issues, are they always impact your drinking. They're all really essential and important for you to talk about and find some solutions to. So we encourage people to find ways to address these outside issues, and, you know, we can recommend good self-help books. Also, if you need professional help, go to a therapist, go to a psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever you need to get the help from. But, you know, address these issues. Be a healthier person. And then it's easier to not drink or to drink less, you know, to stay within your plan and be okay. We have about 50 seconds left. I want to thank you so much, uh, Kenneth Anderson, for being my guest. I think we'll have you back again. It was really, uh, I was really glad to finally get to have our talk here. Um, and again, it's Harms, HamsNetwork.org. Um, his book yeah. is uh, How to. I've lost my page here. Tell me the name of your book. 
How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. And uh, I want to thank Sally for calling in. I want to thank some of the guests I see in the chat room, people who didn't call in. Um, hi, Synth. Hey, Synth. Uh, pickle jerking out there in Chatland. And uh, I will be back next next week for another show of Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Thank you so much, Kenneth, and, Kenneth Anderson. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Good night, everybody.